the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. My next guest makes the point that Americans are being seduced by socialist and communist charlatans who are crying out for revolution in the name of liberation. They're teaching young Americans to praise the, the ferociously totalitarian regimes of Lenin, Mao, and Castro. And the youth are completely missing the truth about these regimes' deadly nature. Well, in his latest book, Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation Into Tyranny, he offers in-depth biographies of five of the most popular modern-day revolutionaries, which is an odd phrase to say, the most popular modern-day revolutionaries whose ideologies killed millions. Well, these men came to power through the same message we hear today. The people must be liberated from their oppressors. Well, my next guest, Dr. Donald Critchlow is a widely published historian who leads the program in political history and leadership at Arizona State University and Revolutionary Monsters is his expert warning against the intoxicating power of revolutionary ideology. Once again, my guest is a university professor and author, and I'm just delighted to have you with us here today. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Dr. Critchlow. Well, please call me uh, Don. Thank you very much for having me. Well, this is such a timely and fascinating look at these uh, revolutionaries. It's a, a word that we use quite often, but don't necessarily uh, understand some of the, the revolutionaries that, that give it substance. Uh, talk a little bit about what motivated you at this moment to highlight these um, these few who are so often cited as examples of where we should go as a nation. Well, uh, this book, Revolutionary Monsters, was motivated more by just seeing uh, students wearing uh, Che Guevara T-shirts. I saw a poll that uh, of young people in America today, <coughs> excuse me, that 52% approved of uh, communism and socialism, 52%. Then I saw another poll that said that 20% of our youth thought that private property should be abolished and, and all property owned by the state. So I thought we needed a wake-up call, and that's what Revolutionary Monsters is all about. Is it that these young people simply do not understand that history, their education is incomplete, or do they fully understand and embrace the figures that they cite as examples for where we ought to be headed? Well, there are a few that uh, romanticize uh, people like Che Guevara and Stil Castro. But in class the other day, uh, one student, a third-year history uh, major, uh, uh, told, told the class that he had never heard that Poland had been uh, under communist uh, rule and that he had never heard of the uh, Berlin Wall. So we have, a true, uh, uh, we have a few true believers in equity and social justice and that they, we need to transform uh, America that's systemically uh, racist. But most of the students are uh, pretty ignorant of history in general. 
And I think that's a reflection of K-12 mm. education. Yeah, so that's absolutely. why we're revolutionary monsters. You write in the introduction, the modern revolutionary mind is enraptured by millennialists' visions of a perfect society. Those who succumb the most to revolutionary logic take on a terrorist mentality. These revolutionary monsters assume the role of prophets acting in a corrupt world that cannot be reformed or bettered gradually. Heaven on earth arrives only through destruction of the existing world order. The modern revolutionary believes with um, fanatical conviction that the old order needs to be destroyed. Violence is necessary to fulfill the prophecy. Terror is an instrument for achieving and maintaining power. Now, the uh, revolutionaries that you highlight in the book, we would certainly nod our heads and agree that that is precisely what underlay their uh, seizure of power. Is that an apt description of some of the uh, millennial revolutionaries today uh, who have rejected the notion of private property and believe we ought to be uh, heading in a very different direction? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, groups like Antifa and uh, Black Lives Matter actually envision a, a new communist uh, society. In class, uh, since I'm speaking of students, uh, the semester before last or the year before uh, COVID, I guess, uh, two students came up to me after class and told me, shared with me that they were libertarian communists. Uh, yes, libertarian communists. Sounds like an oxymoron, yes. but it's, yeah, it's basically a belief that, you know, we could, they could create a new society, even though they may have, uh, they might have known that past communist uh, regimes have uh, failed. Yeah, every new experiment suggests if we just had more money, more time, and better leaders, the model would work for us. Uh, without recognizing the model is itself flawed. Once again, an excerpt from your introduction. In the 20th century, millions of people have died at the hands of revolutionary monsters who came into power, calling for the liberation of people from their oppressors. Mass murder within these revolutionary regimes was not a coincidence. Terror is instrumental to the modern revolutionary. Mass murder follows without apology. Terror is employed to maintain power within the regime and is used against the revolutionaries' internal and external enemies. The Islamic Republic is one example that you offer. With the violence that we've witnessed over the last year and a half, maybe two years, is this an example of an effort to establish through violence uh, and justify violence uh, to move us in a direction um, toward socialism, communism, however you want to describe it? Yes, a lot of uh, people, uh, I think, uh, even on uh, the Republican side, don't understand the uh, revolutionary uh, mind. It's one that seeks a perfect society and wants to begin, erase all history, and begin with the year uh, zero. And when I talk about uh, the, in the book, in, in detail, it's a short book aimed for the uh, young people and, uh, and, and people that are concerned about America, I, I talk about specific, specifically about the kind of terrorism. Mao, for exam, example, when he came to power, set a quota on local uh, cadre in the provinces on the number of uh, deaths that they needed to have. So that he put a quota of 1% to 2% in each province who needed to die of starvation or arrest and, uh, and execution. Similarly, uh, Mugabe in uh, Zimbabwe, uh, when he came to power, uh, used North Korean uh, tr- troops uh, train troops. Uh, they were Zim- they were uh, Zimbabweans uh, to attack a rival uh, tribe 
to commit uh, genocide and uh, rape the women and terrorize the people. And one last example, uh, Khomeinian is, which I discussed in Revolutionary Monsters, in his last uh, 30 days, ordered the execution of 30,000 political uh, prisoners. And that was carried out often by hanging them slowly for hours at a time. So we're talking about monsters who have uh, little repulsion against uh, against uh, genocide. Che Guevara is, uh, I, should, I think, should be seen as a sociopath. He, he liked killing and said as much. Yeah, I, I often see the T-shirts that you referenced a few moments ago and wonder, do you have any idea what that individual did and what he represented? And the answer, clearly, I would like to think, is no. Well, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the problems uh, rest in our educational uh, yeah. system. Yeah, so I think, it's not think that right. history, history and civics are not being taught. It's a question of how they're being taught and who's teaching them. So they, you know, so history is taught, but it's all through a lens of social justice, whether it's racial justice or environmental justice or whatever. So major events like the fall of the Berlin Wall are not, uh, not discussed. There's a, a deliberate uh, dumbing down of our uh, youth to fill their uh, minds in a certain way that will allow them to support uh, transformation of our own uh, society. Yeah, well, ideas have consequences. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. We're talking with uh, uh, Professor Donald Critchlow. He is the Katzen Family Professor at Arizona State University, the author of several books. He leads the program in political history and leadership at Arizona State University, a certificate program that provides students with a robust civic education. Oh, I just love the sound of it, the robust civic education. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with uh, Dr. Donald Critchlow. He is the Katzen Family Professor at Arizona State University and author of several books. He leads the program in political history and leadership at Arizona State University. We're talking about his uh, his latest book, Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into tyranny. Now we've touched on uh, some of these revolutionaries that you feature in the book, but who are the uh, the, the re- uh, revolutionary monsters that you um, uh, highlight in your book, and why did you choose these particular five modern revolutionaries? Well, I chose uh, Lenin, Mao, uh, Mugabe, and Castro, and uh, Khomeini because they represented fought, uh, different continents. So it shows how. Uh, how bad uh, things can happen and, uh, when these so-called liberators uh, take power. And uh, within each of them, we see uh, a pattern of, as you said, bad ideas do matter. Uh, what happened in all of these societies is the bad ideas began to infiltrate uh, the youth and the so-called intelligentsia uh, before the uh, revolutionary upheavals. So Lenin was, uh, by 1870, uh, all the Russian youth were reading Marxism. Similarly, uh, in Mao's pre-revolutionary China, by 1900, uh, my, my dog's barking, sorry. <laughs> she, she hates these uh, liberators. I'll put her in. Sorry about that. That's fine. We live in the real world. There are dogs there. Yeah, yeah well, I had her out. <laughs> anyway, um, and... Uh, 
So by 1900, the Chinese youth were reading Marxist Leninism, and similarly in Castro and Mugabe and Khomeini, they were reading uh, anti-Western, anti-imperialist, anti-colonial, and anti-American uh, writings. So bad ideas uh, matter, and they infiltrate in early in the revolutionary uh, pre-revolutionary uh, eras. Similarly, what we also see is uh, the ruling uh, regimes. Uh, they see themselves as uh, corrupt, only concerned with uh, greed and power, and so they uh, they also uh, are prove unable to uh, really defend the society, their societies and their uh, regimes. And so we're, I think we're seeing a similar pattern today. I'm not predicting political revolution, but we are, but we are seeing a quiet revolution in which uh, many youth are being uh, persuaded by these views and uh, a ruling elite that is, uh, has lost uh, confidence in our own uh, foundational principles in American exceptionalism. We're seeing uh, revolutionaries approach the idea of jettisoning our, our history and institutions. Is there a common thread that runs through them? Do they have a common goal that ultimately uh, removing or disrupting uh, our, our current institutions and replacing it with a, a singular idea? Or is there uh, a lack of agreement even on that point? Well, I don't think there's a, a single uh, a single agenda that they're pursuing. Uh, but I do think that uh, among uh, among the uh, ruling uh, leads today, there's a kind of a, there's a rejection of American uh, exceptionalism, mm-hmm. and so they're different than uh, the left was in previous uh, periods, uh, in that they're really rejecting uh, the very idea that the Constitution uh, was uh, was uh, something that was that, that actually liberated people. But it's seen as a social construction designed to uh, support white uh, privilege and uh, and slavery. So uh, that's what we're seeing is a rejection of our very uh, foundational uh, principles. And I think that's very different than what we're seeing on the left, uh, even when I was going to uh, university at, at uh, Berkeley in the uh, 1970s. We're in a different situation. Yeah. In uh, in your book, and again, we're talking about um, revolutionary monsters, five men who turned liberation into tyranny. The book is published by Regnery History and is certainly worth reading, especially not just to, to learn the history. That's important, but to understand uh, some of the movements that we're seeing in our own uh, country today. But in the book, you place a lot of the blame for revolutions uh, on the established ruling elite. Now, one would assume that it would have been the established ruling elite that would want to hold on to things as they were. Can you explain um, the role that they played uh, in the revolutions that we're uh, talking about in the book, as well as the role they are likely to play or perhaps are playing here in this country as revolutionaries are attempting to do uh, something similar in disrupting our society? Well, one of the points I make in uh, Revolutionary Monsters, uh, all of these uh, monsters, uh, totalitarian monsters, Lenin Mao, uh, Castro, Mugabe, and Khomeini, all were university educated. In fact, they were uh, they became revolutionaries while at uh, university, Lenin a little bit earlier before he went to university. But all of them were university uh, educated. Mugabe actually was sent to uh, 
university on a scholarship and funded by Christian missionaries. Hmm. So the uh, so you know the idea that uh, that if we're all educated, we'll be enlightened isn't necessarily the case, is it? No, it is not. Um, some might suggest because you uh, focus on monster revolutionaries that this is a counter-revolutionary book. Let me ask you, because you touch on this in the book, was the American Revolution um, a revolution in this, the sense that you write about these monsters? Yes, uh, the very idea of revolution began, begins with a scientific astronomical concept of restoration. And so the American Revolution and the earlier uh, Glorious Revolution and later the Polish Revolution in 1989 were actually seeking a a restoration. The American Revolution was to restore the uh, individual rights of uh, Englishmen. The idea of uh, revolution, uh, as articulated by our founders, was to create a society and and political institutions that would allow for equality of opportunity and the right to vote. Uh, it took a long while for us to achieve mm-hmm. this uh, fully. We're still working working uh, to make progress on many of the issues. But that's very different than a social revolution that's calling for social uh, equality. And uh, when you seek to create a perfect society, it only leads to uh, human tragedy. Uh, recent polls indicate that the majority of young people support socialism that 20% believe all private property should be abolished and owned by the state. Um, have we lost a generation to socialism, and do they fully comprehend what those two things, if implemented, would actually mean for them personally? Well, I think we need to be uh, worried about this, and that's what inspired me to write the, uh, the book, Revolutionary Monsters. So I hope that uh, grandparents and parents will... Uh, buy copies for their uh, grandchildren and children, and also uh, maybe buy a copy for your woke uh, neighbor who thinks that uh, social equity is a a really good idea. So uh, the question is is whether we've lost that generation. I think it's uh, a toss-up right now. Mm. Uh, Many young people just don't pay attention to politics at all. They're very apathetic and cynical toward it, maybe with good uh, cause. Uh, we do have uh, a number of activists, and as I show in Revolutionary Monsters, these activists uh, could become powerful forces. The Bolshevik, uh, so-called Bolshevik Revolution, is really uh, a coup d'etat with a few hundred uh, Bolsheviks in St. Petersburg uh, taking over the uh, provisional uh, revolutionary uh, government. So it doesn't take very many, uh, very many. Uh, people to undertake a revolution. And that was uh, Lenin's contribution to the very notion of a vanguard party, which was going to be uh, disciplined and would take orders from above. And Antifa, by the way, uh, should be considered a Marxist-Leninist organization. Uh, They're very uh, well-organized. Members have to go through intense indoctrination. So, it doesn't take very many to uh, activists and committed uh, cadre with revolutionary dreams to uh, undertake uh, transformation. I don't think we're going to see a political revolution, but what we are seeing right now is a quiet revolution in which uh, bad ideas have seeped into 
uh, and the left has taken control of nearly every major institution in our uh, society. So it's going to take, yeah, it's place. I was just going to say, it doesn't take many to facilitate a revolution, but how many does it take who are apathetic, who uh, don't resist, who just allow it to happen? It seems to me it would take far more people to just uh, let it happen um, when you have a much smaller number who are the revolutionaries trying to change things. Yeah, well, the uh, a small activist uh, cadre could direct uh, social discontent in ways that uh, that prove uh, destructive. So we we've, we see uh, this these these activists beginning and bad ideas beginning to take uh, effect as they've gained hold of our uh, educational institutions. Mm-hmm. Now going down to K through twelve. Uh, they've taken control of uh, mostly of media and 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 bless you for your good work uh, on the radio. They've taken control of uh, of um, of entertainment. All you do is have to watch TV or go to the movies and see how uh, ideas uh, are bad ideas are slipped in. So we we have a we're uh, confronting, in my opinion, existential. Uh, crisis right now in our uh, country. And I think a lot of the, anxi- the anxiety that's being felt is, uh, is a correct anxiety. We're talking this afternoon about the book Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. My guest is Dr. Donald Critchlow. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're talking about revolutionary monsters, five men who turned liberation into tyranny. And my guest, author Dr. Donald Critchlow, a widely published historian who leads the program in political history and leadership at Arizona State University. The five are Lenin of Russia, whose monstrous dictatorship left a legacy of one party rule, a police state, a failed economy and Joseph Stalin. Mao of China, a revolutionary destroyer whose leadership led to the death of at least 42.5 million of his own people from famine and violence. Castro of Cuba, the megalomaniac who desecrated the economy, created a one-party police state with a surveillance system more uh, extensive than in Stalin's Russia. Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe, who created a one-power state that committed genocide against his people. And uh, Khomeini of Iran, whose goals, uh, death to all infidels, in heaven on earth vied with the uh, dream of Lenin, Mao, and Castro. Uh, His mystic beliefs about God and the state envisioned a heaven on earth when it was, in fact, just the opposite. This is an important book to understand where revolutionary minds in our own culture and in our time are attempting to lead us, and uh, perhaps we won't go blindly as so many others have gone before us. Do you see revolution coming today in America? And I know you've made a distinction between social and political revolution. Do you see it coming successfully and more broadly into our culture here in America? Well, I think what we're seeing, as I mentioned earlier, is that we're seeing a a quiet revolution, Mm -hmm. uh, a, a takeover. So I don't think the uh, I don't think we'll see a political revolution of uh, such violence, but we are seeing a, an expression of uh, kind of authoritarian uh, mindset by the uh, the left, and it's all about power and uh, control. You're a conservative faculty member at a university. What is that like for you? And are you encountering lots of uh, students who are? 
uh, to put it mildly, woke? Well, I, I uh, encounter many uh, woke students. We're seeing the effects of uh, K through 12 education. But there are many students uh, in my classes in Arizona State, uh, draws from all over the country who are uh, conservative. Uh, the Republican, uh, I'm the advisor to the college Republicans, and at their first meeting at the beginning of the semester, they had 80 students uh, show up. So I don't think it's a lost cause, and I don't think we're fighting against windmills. We can uh, we can win this with uh, if we all do our uh, jobs and talk to our neighbors and our community, get involved in our communities by running for school boards and supporting uh, good candidates. And we, if we all do our part, uh, then I think we can uh, we can uh, fight and uh, overcome what we're seeing. So I uh, I see my, this book. Revolutionary Monsters is just a small contribution to this general battle war that we have going on in our, in our country right now. The last chapter of your uh, book is titled Lessons Learned, and it's followed by a question mark. Um, I don't know if you're referring to your readers or to the culture in general. What should we learn from these five uh, monstrous revolutionary uh, leaders that might save us from going in a similar direction in our um, social revolution that we're in the midst of? Yes, I, uh, the, the two major points that I make, and I, these are the lessons that I, uh, that I offer in Revolutionary Monsters, is that bad ideas really do matter, and that we really need, and it begins with uh, education, and we need to be involved in our educational uh, system. I mean, parents obviously have a right to... Uh, to complain about the kind of uh, racial division that's being uh, taught in our uh, schools. It's just not uh, critical race theory. It's everything that it's history being pushed through a lens that everything is about race. And then they're emphasizing that some people have whites have uh, privilege. So uh, whether you're uh, conscious, you know, so unconsciously you could be a racist. So bad ideas matter. And secondly, uh, the second point I make, and this is a major lesson, is that uh, elites can uh, fail us. And I think the, uh, the political, corporate, and uh, entertainment media elites are failing us uh, today. So we can change that by, uh, in multiple uh, ways, I think. And it all begins with citizen patriotic involvement. Yeah, absolutely. And making sure we, we've educated ourselves so that we can speak to revolutionaries in our own time in a way that's constructive. Um, where can our listeners buy a copy of Revolutionary Monsters? I think it's important for us uh, to read it ourselves and then to make it available, perhaps to others who have embraced the notion of revolution in our own um, country and our own culture. Well, this is a short book that's uh, readily available on audio as well as uh, uh, hardback, it, it could be ordered, and I, uh, I hesitate to suggest this, but Amazon, Barnes & Noble, it could be ordered online, but it also could be ordered uh, directly from the uh, publishers. So those, uh, those interested, and I hope uh, many people are, and it's just not about me selling books here. I think this is an important book. Uh, they can uh, just Google uh, Revolutionary Monsters and order the book. And 
and and begin to uh, give it as uh, Christmas gifts. So I want to wish you happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season for uh, all of your listeners. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for the book and for taking time to talk with us about it here today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. I love your show, by the way. I've been on, I think, previously, and you do a great uh, interview. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Well, it's always good to have a great guest, so I appreciate it. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving. You Bye-bye. too. Again, Dr. Uh, uh, Donald Critchlow, Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. And it is rather interesting, as I mentioned during our conversation, the Che Guevara uh, t-shirt, especially when I see black guys wearing this. Do you have any idea? This guy's a racist. Do you have any idea who he was, what he did, what he said? And the answer, quite frankly, is no. You know a thing or two, and you know, you're kind of like that thing or two, and you just assume uh, assume the rest. Well, this goes into greater uh, detail. And while we know a lot about some of these guys, maybe not the um, Ayatollah or uh, Robert Mugabe, we may not know as much about them as we think we know about some of the others, Lenin, Mao, and Castro. It really is a good refresher course, and then, as mentioned, to pass that along to others who may know even less. Uh, it, it feels a bit discouraging to see the direction that the nation is going, and you feel a little bit helpless. He mentioned that it only takes a small cadre of revolutionaries to be successful. When you think of the majority, if they resist that, then you know how many does it take? It doesn't take a whole... <laughs> does take the whole population, but it does take some of us standing courageously and challenging the direction that we're going. He also made the point that, you know, parents have a role to play. Well, parents are now being demonized for trying to play that role. They are primarily responsible for their kids. They're responsible for understanding and approving their education. Well, the the pushback right now is, no, you're not. Uh, You really don't have a role to play in all of this. Well, we need to resist that notion and say, yes, I do have a role to play in this and not simply throw up our hands and say that's uh, that's just the way it is. Anyway, revolutionary monsters, five men who turned liberation into tyranny. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. So appreciate the uh, writing of Dr. Donald Critchlow and uh, having the opportunity to have a conversation with him uh, in light of the direction this, uh, well, members of our uh, culture are urging us to take. Uh, I noticed uh, Robin Smith wrote a piece for the Patriot Post um, having to do with the big government socialist Thanksgiving proclamation. And I wanted to share that with you in view of our previous conversation and the subtlety of moving us away from the principles that, uh, you know, I, I admit this is not a perfect constitutional republic. The fact that we're part of it, sinful people, means it's never going to be perfect. Uh, but we're approaching it in ways that most places haven't. And the potential is there uh, for those of us who are serious about Uh, holding to a high standard and so on. Anyway, uh, Robin Smith writes, Thursday is America's National Day of Thanksgiving. And it is just that, a national day of Thanksgiving, which to me is remarkable in and of itself. You have, whether or not current leaders are sincere, you have the nation's leaders calling uh, the nation to come together for a national day of Thanksgiving. Now, historically, that would have been a a day of Thanksgiving to God for his... um, 
many blessings. Today, it's more nebulous than that. You know, Thanksgiving to whom and whatever. Anyway, Americans use this day, memorialized 400 years ago, to honor freedom of religion in our great nation, to express their gratitude to their creator who endowed them with certain inalienable rights. What a concept. We can't help but see the irony of a president who has worked so tirelessly to take away those inalienable rights, giving the proclamation for this year's Day of Thanksgiving. What can he say? Perhaps if he was honest, his speech would sound something like this. And this is not the actual proclamation. This is what Robin Smith says in light of some of the policy decisions that have been proposed and made. Remembering each person's right to individual truth, we realize Thanksgiving Day as a paternalistic tradition that should not be forced on those who don't embrace the historical record of 102 passengers aboard a small ship named the Mayflower that departed Plymouth, England in September 1620, seeking prosperity and religious freedom. Coming from a place of state-imposed religion and elite-structured society, these religious separatists according to the oppressive racists uh, writing history, survived the first harsh winter and shared a three-day celebration with the Wampanoag tribe in November of 1621. They gave thanks for their unusual friendship and the resilience of those who survived, resolving to establish their best days ahead with the providential hand of God as creator and provider. All of this is, of course, up to you to decide if it were if it's true or not. History as it actually existed, the events that actually took place, really isn't relevant. We all have our own truth. Whereas Americans experienced historical economic liberty and empowerment from 2016 to 2020 with historic wage increases and a competitive economic uh, economy, rather, despite a global pandemic, this year more than 4 million exited the workforce, leaving a record number of job openings and causing supply chains to fail across the nation. Give thanks that unemployment payments will be prolonged and school closures extended, keeping parents from their best employed employment options. Whereas the annual inflation rate exploded to its highest rate in 21 years at 6.2 percent in October of 2021, this universal tax is now making sure the working class pays more for everything from electricity, 5.2 percent increase, to meat, poultry, and eggs on the grocery list, an average of 10.5% increase, to gasoline, which has increased 42.5% since last year. Give thanks for government dependency, overregulation, closing down pipelines, and incentivizing ineffective green energy while reversing effective trade policy with America's largest competitors, which is working just as it has in socialist nations. Whereas the southern border is finally wide open and the trend of illegal encounters with the U.S. Customs and Border Protection has rocketed from 404,142 in October of 2019, 1,662,167 in 2020, flooding the labor market with unvaccinated immigrants trying American job opportunities or taking them rather, Give thanks for diversity and future Democrat voters. Also, the, temp- the temporary pause in the vaccine mandate by OSHA will surely be reversed to deny Americans informed consent to their own health decisions. Whereas American schools are still in the hands of the government using taxpayer dollars to indoctrinate their own children against their family values, exposing them to authentic systematic racism and denying parents the opportunity to place their children in a school that meets their own child's needs. Give thanks that the National School Boards Association has successfully moved the U.S. Attorney General to criminalize parents, labeling them as domestic terrorists when they speak out in frustration and anger at local school board meetings about critical race theory and same-sex books in their children's libraries.
Now, therefore, and this is uh, a proposed, not the actual proclamation. Now, therefore, I, Joe Biden, president of the United States of America and all the big government socialists you elected in November 2020 do hereby Proclaim Thursday, November 25th, 2021, as a national day of thanksgiving for the growing government and infringement on individual liberty. I encourage all Americans who believe everything you read on social media and the mainstream media to carry on and avoid places of worship, since it's been established that worshiping yourself and your government are most healthy and by all means prepare for the upcoming season by spending money you don't have, just as we do in D.C., Wow. Well, I guess I'm guessing I should say that the president's proclamation will not sound quite that way. But if it were to reflect the direction that we tend to be, uh, we seem to be heading and what's being proposed for the future, it might be a bit more appropriate than the one that will actually be released for Thanksgiving. In any event, I appreciated what uh, Dr. Critchlow suggested, and that is that as we are informed and uh, help to inform others who may not fully understand what they are uh, being urged to embrace, we can resist in a way that is uh, effective. Um, being uh, well informed and uh, prepared to challenge those who would argue otherwise. Anyway, I appreciate that uh, very much. Also, want to give you a brief look at what's coming up for the remainder of this week. Um, on Wednesday, we have a Thanksgiving special in which we'll look at the history of events that took place on that Thanksgiving. It wasn't a single day. We honor a single day, but it took place over a period of time. And then on Thursday, as has been our uh, uh, tradition for some time, we'll share the legend of Squanto. And Friday, we will uh, share. uh, uh, (laughs) What are you doing back there, Chris? He's quite excited about the legend of (laughs) Squanto. He he likes (laughs) he likes it. Uh, Anyway, then on Friday, we'll share the Christian outlook for that week, as well as another Thanksgiving special. So all of that is uh, coming up for the remainder of this week. Well, I want to thank James Blend for producing today's program, Chris Williams for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you will join us once again right here on the Georgine Rice Show. Good night. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Chris Williams engineering today's program. In the second hour of our program, I had an opportunity earlier in the day to speak with uh, Dr. Donald Critchlow. He's a professor, a history professor in Arizona. And uh, we're going to talk about his latest book, Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. The book is published by Regnery History. He'll join us in the second hour of today's program. And we'll take a look at the uh, a proclamation or a proposed proclamation for the nation uh, in advance of Thanksgiving that the president might issue. That's coming up also in the second hour of today's program. Well, the Christmas horror in um, Waukesha, uh, just outside of Milwaukee, uh, left several people. Now um, we know the number is five dead and many more injured. Just a sad situation that should not have happened. Uh, the perpetrator is currently a person of interest uh, turned a suspect after an SUV plowed through dozens of people attending the Christmas parade in the small town. Well, prosecutors there are conducting an internal review into their own office's decision to make an inappropriately low bail recommendation for Daryl Brooks Jr., the person who is now 
um, a suspect in the case in uh, the uh, the area. The horror left at least five people dead, 40 injured, including 18 children, rushed to uh, Children's Wisconsin Hospital in Milwaukee. Brooks was has multiple pending cases in the uh, county of Milwaukee, including a 2020 case involving two counts of second-degree reckless endangerment and being a felon in possession of a firearm, according to a spokesperson from Milwaukee's district attorney's office. Uh, bail was originally set at $10,000, later reduced to 7500 according to the district attorney. But due to a court scheduling conflict that would have deprived him of his right to a speedy trial, his bail was again reduced, this time to $500, which he posted on the 21st. Well, earlier this month, uh, he attempted to um, run over his um, wife, fiance. Uh, with a vehicle uh, was once again hauled before the court. They set the bail at a thousand dollars, which he paid just a few days before this incident. In any event, they're still treating many of the people who were injured in this melee. Uh, and thankfully, they were able to identify the driver uh, who will be held accountable for what happened. Meanwhile, President Biden announced on Monday that he's going to nominate and did Jerome Powell to a second term as chairman of the Federal Reserve, signaling that he believes the battle tested central bank chief who's navigated the U.S. economy through the depths of the worst recession in nearly a century is the best person for the one of uh, one of the most high stakes job in the world. Well, the announcement ends months of speculation over whether the president would stick with Powell. A Republican nominated by former President Donald Trump in 2017, but certainly predates Donald Trump or attempt to reshape the central bank by tapping Lael Brainerd, the sole Democrat on the Fed's board of governors to uh, to lead it. Uh, Only one Democrat has been selected for the top post in more than three decades. Well, Brainerd has uh, instead been chosen as vice chair of the board of governors, the number two job at the Fed. She will be uh, uh, will succeed rather Richard uh, Clarita, whose term expired uh, expires January 31st, 2022. Well, the nomination uh, now head to the Senate for confirmation should be uh, an easy one or fairly. The Fed chair, one of the most powerful players in Washington with the ability to dictate the pace of economic growth, is typically nominated for a second term, often to reinforce the central bank's independence from politics. Powell's four-year term was slated to end in February. Choosing whom to tap is one of the most consequential economic decisions that the president has made during his first year in the Oval Office, particularly as the White House seeks to quell growing voter unrest about the state of the U.S. economy with surging prices for everything from meat to gasoline to clothing. Well, as mentioned a moment ago, there were multiple deaths and injuries reported after an SUV plowed into a Wisconsin Christmas parade. Authorities in the suburb continued to deal with the aftermath after that red SUV plowed into Christmas parade marchers and spectators. That was Sunday evening, striking more than 20 adults and children. Some fatalities occurred at the event, according to the police. Well, the uh, city officials early Monday confirmed that at least five people had died and more than 40 suffered injuries. They warned that both numbers could change with more information expected at a news conference that took place earlier today and may be repeated tomorrow. A Roman Catholic priest, multiple parishioners and Catholic school children were among those injured at the parade. An archdiocese in uh, Milwaukee spokesperson told the Associated Press there were videos. They were very chilling. Uh, on social media, showed the SUV plowing into parade participants with loud screams audible from those who witnessed the horror. Other videos showed people running to the aid of injured people. 
Uh, Social media posts contain the name and photo of a possible suspect that helped law enforcement identify the person who is now in custody. And other developments, an Illinois Democrat tied the uh, uh, Wakasha tragedy to the Rittenhouse case in a mocking post saying it was probably just self-defense. Not funny or appropriate. Dr. Ben, by the way, did you know there was also a self-defense case that took place? Uh, the verdict was read the same day as the Rittenhouse uh, verdict. It was a black uh, young man uh, who uh, whose home was raided by police. He thought they were being robbed. He shot and uh, it was a very similar case in terms of self-defense. He was found not guilty in the same way Rittenhouse was found not guilty, which really undermines the narrative that you're hearing on social media that no black person in America uh, would have received the same verdict as Rittenhouse. I find that fascinating. They chose to overlook it and to ignore it because, well, again, it didn't fit the narrative. And the truth is now replaced by narrative. What you think should happen or how you think it should have unfolded has become more important than what actually happened or could happen in our country. Beware of narratives that may or may not be accurate. Well, a Rittenhouse post from Virginia University is being slammed as politicized rhetoric. We'll get into that and much more when we return in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Once again, coming up in the second hour, we'll talk with Dr. Donald Critchlow, author of Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into tyranny. When a Wisconsin jury acquitted Kyle Rittenhouse of murder charges last week, that development hampered the progress of science. That's according to a Virginia University chemistry department, suggesting in a series of online posts that at least one critic derided as inappropriate politicized rhetoric. The communications of James Madison University's official Instagram account also briefly included a so-called student takeover video in which a JMU student lamented the murdering of two beautiful black lives, even though the jury agreed that Rittenhouse acted in self-defense and the two men he fatally shot were white. Not that it should matter. All lives matter. Um, but the point was they didn't even know who, who was actually killed. Reminder, it's hard to focus on science if you're worried you might be legally shot or run over in protest. Well, I, I don't want to defend Rittenhouse. I think he shouldn't have been there with an AR-15. The others shouldn't have been there. I, as I mentioned last week, where was uh, where were the officials who are responsible for the safety of the city? Where was law enforcement whose hands are tied? It was a tragedy all the way around. And while the two people who were uh, ultimately shot and killed, one was a serial pedophile. The other was uh, convicted of um, domestic violence. Neither of them deserved to be shot dead. Uh, neither of them should have been there. I, the whole thing's a mess. So I, don't, I wouldn't celebrate over it. I think the jury probably got it right, given the actual details of the case. I sat through and listened to the arguments in the trial. Two people are dead. Nobody's held directly responsible. The whole thing is is a mess. Um, it's just another picture of sin running amok. Uh, but I've said enough about that. Anyway, in other developments, Massachusetts University hosted uh, segregated processing spaces for responding to the Rittenhouse verdict. The Associated Press accused Republicans of, you know, I, I spent most of my growing up years as a young black girl in the city of Portland watching and uh, wading through the civil rights movement. And it's so fascinating, isn't the right word, to see the reversals that are being insisted upon by those who have benefited by the outcome of the civil rights movement. 
it's it really is quite something to see. Anyway, the Associated Press accused Republicans of using the Rittenhouse case to exploit the national divide on race. Of course, the national divide on race is being exploited at every turn by everyone with the microphone, for the most part, in the national media and in Washington. Well, CBS Face the Nation continued to claim Rittenhouse crossed state lines armed for battle. That's another fact that was found to be false. NBC's Maria Shriver sparked outrage for asking how it's possible Rittenhouse walked out of a courtroom a free man. She clearly doesn't understand the court system and being tried by a jury of your peers. You may not agree with the outcome. But that's how the system works here. President Biden said his house burned with my wife in it, adding to a growing list of embellished and discredited stories, he tells quite often. The president said last week that his house burned down with his wife, Jill Biden, inside before trying to correct himself, adding to a long list of personal stories he's embellished over the years. Speaking on a New Hampshire bridge on Tuesday about his bipartisan infrastructure plan, he said, without this bridge, as I said earlier, it's a 10 mile detour just to get to the other side. And I know having had a house burned down with my wife in it she got out safely god willing that having a significant portion of it burn i can tell 10 minutes makes uh, a lot of difference i'll just paraphrase well the president has recalled the story before saying in 2013 that a fire destroyed a significant portion of his new hampshire home however a 2004 report from the associated press uh, archived by uh, lexis nexus said lightning struck the biden's home and started a small fire that was contained to the kitchen Uh, The report said firefighters got the blaze under control in 20 minutes and that uh, they were uh, able to keep the flames from spreading beyond the kitchen. The president has a long history of exaggerating stories about himself. Most recently, he uh, recounted for the fifth time during his presidency a heartfelt yet factually challenged story about an Amtrak employee during his speech in New Jersey. The employee Biden frequently mentions actually died a year before the story was said to have taken place. Did I ever tell you about the time I served in the Secret Service? It was um, it was frightening period. I was just a child, but oh, I digress. In other developments, Beto O'Rourke says his Texas gubernatorial campaign won't be about President Biden. Then he slammed the president on his immigration plan, but it's not really about him. Okay, President Biden mourned the deadliest year on record for transgender Americans in a day of remembrance statement. A retired colonel says the Afghanistan fiasco shows U.S. military encourages lapdog generals. And in the 2024 watch, former Vice President Pence is uh, heading back to the first presidential primary state. Will he run? That's the question being asked. By the way, the president mourning the deadliest year on record for transgender Americans. You may disagree with the lifestyle chosen by transgender men and women. You may uh, oppose the legislation and the politics around it. But that Imago Day is still there, and we have an obligation to be kind and generous, loving, uh, forbearing, all of that with transgenders and everybody else. Just a thought. The Olympic Committee spoke with a missing Chinese tennis star, but there's a catch. A Nebraska's governor blasted the state university for its anti-racism plan, calling them to drop the ideological indoctrination. And left-wing media are being slammed for associating Thanksgiving with genocide. Apparently someone put the arsenic in the turkey, according to their version of that day's events. Supply chain problems are showing signs of easing. I hope that's true. And police in India have charged Amazon executives in an alleged marijuana smuggling case. 
Well, in expected left-wing riots following the uh, Rittenhouse verdict, according to Portland police, rioters threw objects at officers, smashed the rear window of a police car, as well as windows from the city print shop, and spray-painted the Justice Center building with graffiti that read, All Cops Are Kyle's, uh, No Justice, No Peace. Uh, The mayor-elect of New York got his first taste of left-wing mobs, and the Associated Press called the rioting protests. That just sounds better. Uh, Andy No from Portland says, uh, say his name, Joseph Rosenbaum, BLM protesters chant in support of Rosenbaum, the convicted serial child sex offender who was killed in self-defense by Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, from Dan Crenshaw, he writes, I'm truly concerned by how many people would resort to mob justice if our system allowed for it. The comments recently have been terrifying. Thank God we live with a legal system based in classic liberal values, not illiberal Values of progressives. There were mass casualties, half of them children, as the SUV plowed into a Christmas parade in Wisconsin. And the Colorado State Board dropped the term sex offender because it's negative. Not the offense, but the naming of the offender. It was negative. They prefer client, among other options, until they or their daughters are targeted by a sex offender, I suppose. Kimberly Corbin says, I didn't choose to be victimized. A sex offender did. That earned label should follow him for the rest of his life, just as my victimization will follow me. And it does follow you through the remainder of your life. Make no mistake. A Virginia cop has been fired for donating $25 to the Rittenhouse defense. He wants his job back. He's demanding his job back from the woke police chief. Companies are turning to the unvaccinated to fill labor shortages and a rather enterprising individual launched an online job board to help the unvaxxed get jobs. They've been bombarded by visitors. China appears to show a staged picture and video of the missing tennis player. I am glad to see the video released by China state-run media that appears to show Peng Shua uh, at a restaurant in Beijing, WTA Chief Steve Simon said in a statement. And while it's positive to see her, it remains unclear if she is free and able to make decisions and take actions on her own without coercion or external interference. The video alone is insufficient. You might recall she accused a Chinese official of sexually assaulting her. She hasn't been seen or heard from since until this uh, video provided by uh, the state media was uh, made available. NBA's Cantor wore shoes mocking LeBron James while playing against LeBron James. And his Cantor, who was very outspoken, wore shoes that depicted China's dictator putting a crown on LeBron's head. Well, the true motive of a teacher's union have been exposed in school closings. Well, Carl Markowitz reports when teachers unions forced schools to close and the Biden administration allowed union leaders like Randy Weingarten to craft centers for disease control and prevention policy to make sure they stayed that way. Some of us argued that treating schools as inconsequential would be would have consequences. Kids are resilient, we are told. They're, they'll be fine. So what if they sat at home for a year staring at a screen with no interaction with their peers? And so what if they were forced to do this when all the science said that they should be in actual school? They'd bounce right back when Weingarten finally gave the okay for schools to resume. It would be just that easy. But it turns out the people we, who have been wrong about everything else were wrong about this, too. A San Francisco Nordstrom was attacked by armed looters. It was organized crime. The hit was organized as 25 cars pulled up. The thieves grabbed merchandise and attacked workers. Police did get there in time to arrest, well, a few. Uh, 
President Unity in the Kenosha verdict called for calm, but said the Rittenhouse verdict left him angry and concerned. Protests erupted from New York to California and siding with anarchy. GoFundMe denied Rittenhouse fundraising while crowdsourcing funds for BLM rioters. At least five were killed. Dozens were injured after that SUV plowed through a crowd. And who to thunk it? A male inmate sexually assaulted a female after transferring to a Washington women's prison. The male was housed in the same cell with a female because he self-identified as a she and everyone is forced to believe that. TikTok surged to become the top app for Gen Z. That's not a good thing. And deportation orders from immigration judges plummet under the Biden administration. A new migrant caravan is set off from the southern Mexico border. This is a new one. And Ukraine expects a new Russian military assault in January or February. The question is, will anyone do anything about it? Saying we're not as advanced, the top general admits the U.S. is trailing China and Russia on hypersonic missiles. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show as we take a look at the news. Coming up in our second hour, Dr. Donald Critchlow. Revolutionary Monsters is the title of his book, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. A look at socialism and communism. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Uh, The CDC has um, expanded eligibility for COVID booster shots to all U.S. adults. You'll be happy to learn. Former New York Mayor Andrew Cuomo misrepresented the COVID nursing home toll, according to a committee report. Of course, that's not really news now. Trust the experts. The FDA will take 55 years to answer the Freedom of Information Act on COVID vaccine approval data. 55 years. President Biden picked Jerome Powell to lead the Fed for a second term. Kyle Rittenhouse says he supports BLM, Black Lives Matter. A wave of withdrawals continue as Mississippi and Illinois part ways with the National School Boards Association. Olympic officials say the Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai claims she is safe. Memo to NBA. Women's tennis is prepared to exit China. Lose hundreds of millions of dollars over Peng's situation. NBA? Man up. On this day in history, 1906, the SOS distress signal is adopted at the International Radio Telegraph Convention in Berlin. 1914, the first Battle of Europe's during World War I ends with an Allied victory against Germany. I'm not really sure it's called Europe's might be pronounced differently. 1935, the flying boat, the China Clipper, uh, takes off from Alameda, California, carrying more than 100,000 pieces of mail on the first Trans-Pacific airmail flight. 1954, the Humane Society of the United States is incorporated as the National Humane Society. 1963, John F. Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States, is assassinated while riding in a motorcade in Dallas, Texas. Governor John B. Connolly in the same car as Kennedy is seriously wounded. The suspect, Lee Harvey Oswald, is arrested and Vice President Lyndon Baines Johnson is sworn in as president. I remember that day as well as I remember yesterday. I remember I was at Woodstock Elementary School standing in the lunch line and word got out that President Kennedy had been shot. We didn't know what the word assassinate meant, but we understood that the president was dead and he had been shot. 
And as I'm standing in line, one kid would tell the next kid and it finally got to me. And I remember bursting into tears. You know, when you were a kid at that uh, that time, back in 1963, you had respect for the president. It didn't matter if he was a Democrat or Republican. The adults, they they knew the difference and why it was important. But we actually were allowed to have a childhood back then. So when the president of the United States, someone you were raised to respect and admire, um, was shot, it, it was a big deal. And I remember uh, very well. I remember seeing sometime later uh, the first lady um, being there when the new president, when the vice president was sworn in to become the president of the United States. There was still blood on her on her dress. But I remember that moment like I remember the moment that 9-11 occurred, for example. Anyway, this marks the uh, anniversary of the 35th president of the United States assassination. 1967, the U.N. Security Council approves Resolution 242, which calls for Israel to withdraw from territories it had captured the previous June and implicitly calls on adversaries to recognize Israel's right to exist. That hasn't quite yet happened. 1990, British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, having failed to win re-election of the Conservative Party leadership on the first ballot, announces she will resign. 1995, acting swiftly to boost the Balkan Peace Accord, the U.N. Security Council suspends economic sanctions against Serbia and eases the arms embargo against the state uh, states rather of the former Yugoslavia. 2017, former sports doctor Larry Nasser accused of molesting at least 125 girls and young women while working for USA Gymnastics and Michigan State University pleads guilty to multiple charges of sexual assault. 125. Now, some of those girls, some of those young women actually reported what happened and they were not taken seriously. It is a, a shame. Also, 2017, on this day in history, Ratko Miladic, the Bosnian Serb general whose forces carried out the worst massacre in, European, in Europe rather, since World War II, was convicted of genocide and other crimes by the United Nations Yugoslav War Crimes Tribunal and sentenced to life behind bars. Well, just minutes after it became clear that the U.S. Supreme Court was not issuing an opinion on Texas abortion law Monday morning, when many thought it might, Democrats attacked the justices for failing to take action in the case, calling once again for the court to be packed. Uh, the Supreme Court has allowed Texas abhorrent anti-abortion law to remain in effect for 83 days. Demand Justice, a pro-court packing organization ran by former I should say run by former Obama administration staffers tweeted, we cannot keep waiting for this court to act in the interests of the American people. It's time to hashtag expand the court. Now, while one could argue the Supreme Court um, acts in the interests of the American people, but they do so by interpreting the meaning of the Constitution, not uh, putting their finger to the wind and determining which way it's blowing, blowing and um uh, make their decisions based on that. Now, the Supreme Court didn't issue the opinion on Monday. They will issue an opinion. It just wasn't quick enough. Many guessed the Supreme Court, they uh, went on to say, would weigh in on the Texas law today, but it turned out to be a giant head fake. Well, the fact that people thought they might uh, issue an, uh, an opinion today doesn't mean they ever intended to or were capable of. Uh, Demand Justice Executive Director Brian Fallon added, it is insane we let the third branch of government conduct itself with so little transparency when it comes to rights this fundamental. Now, it's that same Supreme Court that granted this right in the flawed Roe versus Wade, Doe versus Bolton decision. And they were heroes then 
just like nurses were heroes, what, a year ago, and now they're the pariah if they don't have the vaccine. Anyway, they were heroes then because they um, they reflected what some in the culture wanted at the time. But now they're a pariah because they didn't make their decision soon enough. Now, one can only imagine what will happen if they side with Texas. Anyway, Fallon is a former press secretary for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, worked for the Department of Justice as a press staffer during the Obama administration. The Supreme Court heard procedural arguments about the new Texas abortion law, which bans abortion after a heartbeat is detected in the baby earlier this month. The arguments were not about the substance of the law, but rather over who could bring a legal challenge, who had standing against the law and how. Well, because the court heard the case on a highly expedited basis, many speculated, and that's their fault if they speculated, uh, that it would also issue the ruling quickly. When the court announced it would release at least one opinion Monday, court watchers and news organizations readied for the blockbuster opinion on a major abortion law. Instead, the court issued an opinion on a groundwater dispute between Tennessee and Mississippi. John Roberts playing Ha Ha Made You Look when it comes to abortion rights is about all you need to know about the Supreme Court. Hashtag expand the court. Demand Justice Chief Counsel said. So John Roberts is playing a game with people who are interested in a ruling on this. Do they have no understanding of Supreme Court justices or the the rule of law and the, the judicial branch? Well, the Monday attacks on the court are just the latest from those railing against the court, which has a 6-3 majority of Republican-appointed justices. And, of course, it's that imbalance, they will argue, delayed the decision being announced. Earlier this year, some Democrats were attacking the most senior Democrat-appointed justice, Stephen Breyer, over the fact that he would not retire so President Biden could replace him while Democrats hold a majority in the Senate. So this was a political move they were asking him to engage in. Now, the judiciary branch is supposed to be apart from politics. So if he had ascended to their decision, then it seems to me he would have revealed himself to be a politician rather than a Supreme Court justice. But that doesn't really matter when all that matters is the outcome, whether it's constitutional or not constitutional, it it, uh, comports with your priority. Well, the Supreme Court is scheduled to hear oral arguments on December the 1st. In the case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, which is about a Mississippi abortion law that bars abortion after 15 weeks, that case is on the substance of the law and could potentially result in the overturning of Roe versus Wade. So that is going to be significant, uh, and that's coming up on December 1st. And again, that's when oral arguments are heard, but the decision is probably not uh, coming until June, July uh, once the uh, the session is over and they have an opportunity to li- to deliberate and write their opinions. So that's really the much larger case that they're also uh, foaming at the mouth about. So we'll we'll keep you updated on that and the hearing that takes place on December 1st. Meanwhile, the International Olympic Committee recommended that sports organizations allow biologically male transgender athletes to compete in women's sports without lowering their testosterone levels which makes the playing field significantly uneven. We'll talk more about that when we return in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, Dr. Donald Critchlow, author of Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show 
Well, the International Olympic Committee recommended that sports organizations allow biologically male transgender athletes compete in women's sports without lowering their testosterone levels. The committee stated that no athlete should be excluded from competition based on unverified, alleged or perceived unfair competition advantage due to biological sex. In a report released on Tuesday, the report says athletes should compete in sports based on their self-determined gender identity and should not be subject to targeted testing to determine biological sex. Athletes should not be deemed to have an unfair or disproportionate competitive advantage due to their sex variations, physical appearance and or transgender status, the report said. Well, the committee went on to state that athletes should never be pressured to undergo medically unnecessary treatments. Well, we would agree on that point. Medically unnecessary treatments, including hormone therapy, therapy rather, which some transgender people use to lower their testosterone and to a level uh, of that of a biological female, which would um, at least in part level the playing field, although the musculature is another issue. Well, the Sports Council Equality Group uh, released in September uh, a report that found that biologically male athletes have unfair advantages over female athletes retained even after a biological male undergoes testosterone suppression to affirm a female gender identity. The Sports Council's Equity Group uh, report found that transgender women are on average liked, likely to retain physical advantage in terms of physique, stamina, and strength. Well, the International Olympic Committee report isn't legally binding, but it replaced the committee's own 2015 guidelines that limited athletes' testosterone levels. Before 2015, the uh, IOC, the International Olympic Committee's guidelines, would in some cases require surgery prior to eligibility for competition. It is... Uh, Rather remarkable to consider. Well, um, they're telling us that supply chain problems are showing signs of easing. Asian output is coming back. Some bottlenecks are clearing up. But labor shortages could persist into next year. According to the Wall Street Journal, the global supply chain woes are beginning to recede. But shipping, manufacturing and retail executives say that they don't expect to return to more normal operations until next year. And the cargo will continue to be delayed if COVID-19 outbreaks disrupt key dis, uh, distribution hubs. So encouraged, not encouraged. I'm not quite sure how to interpret that. In Asia, COVID-related factory closures, energy shortages, port capacity limits have eased in recent weeks. And the U.S. major retailers say that they have uh, imported most of what they need for the holidays. Ocean freight rates have retreated from record levels. Still, executives, economists say strong consumer demand for goods and uh, in the West, ongoing port congestion in the U.S., shortages of truck drivers and elevated global freight uh, rates continue to hang over any recovery. Uh, The risk of more extreme weather and flare ups of COVID-19 cases can also threaten to clog supply chains again. So, again, good news, not good news, not quite sure how to... uh, Interpret it. Well, 16 attorneys general have filed an amicus brief in the contentious masterpiece cake shop case, arguing that custom cake artists, um, uh, their work is protected by the First Amendment. There are many costs of doing business, but they do not include your civil rights. That's a quote from Arizona Attorney General Mark Bronovich, uh, who led the coalition of attorneys generals in filing the brief. In a statement, he said small business owners maintain the ability to express themselves in their own words and in their work. Mr. Phillips should not be compelled to use his creative talents to express a message he does not want to convey. 
the attorneys um, general of Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Kansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Texas, and West Virginia. Not even public accommodation laws, as important as they are, can override the First Amendment. Well, the suit centers on Masterpiece cake shop owner Jack Phillips, who declined to make a cake for a same-sex wedding in 2012 on religious grounds and is now in court over declining to make a gender transition cake. Well, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission sued Phillips over his refusal to make a same-sex wedding cake, and the Colorado Court of Appeals ruled that Phillips had violated the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act. Well, in June of 2018, the Supreme Court held that the state had acted with clear and impermissible hostility toward Phillips' religious beliefs, reversing the decision. Well, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission again sued Phillips in 2019, this time for declining to design a case celebrating a gender transition. Phillips said that baking such a cake would violate his religious beliefs and send a message to anyone that he would celebrate a gender transition, according to a press release from the Arizona Attorney General's office. Well, a trial court found Phillips in violation of the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act in the summer of 2020. But the attorney's general brief argues that the uh, the court should reverse this decision and hold that Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop are protected by the First Amendment. The district court held that, pursuant to the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, Colorado can force Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop to create a custom-made cake designed to represent an individual's gender transition, regardless of whether Mr. Phillips wants to express that message, the attorney's general wrote. Mr. Phillips has strong religious beliefs that it is not possible for a person to be transgender, and he and his wife do not believe that a person can transition uh, from the gender assigned at birth, they continued. Thus, creating a custom cake expressing a message of celebration of an individual's gender transition is contrary to Mr. Phillips' religious beliefs, close quote. Well, the attorneys general noted that Colorado says the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act requires Phillips to create this cake expressing a message that is contrary to his beliefs. They went on. The decision runs afoul of the Supreme Court's repeated recognition that the First Amendment guarantee of freedom of expression protects a wide array of artistic works. And in turn, those works cannot be compelled. They continued, and recognition of this protection will not nullify a public accommodation law such as the Colorado uh, Non-Discrimination Act. It is only in narrow circumstances that commercial applications of public accommodation laws even implicate compelled speech protection. Well, David Mullins um, and Charlie Craig uh, spoke to journalists uh, after the Supreme Court heard the masterpiece uh, cake um, when it was taken up some time back. And now they're back at it again. Had the Supreme Court ruled against Phillips, things would have gotten much worse for the millions of Christians, Jews and Muslims whose religious beliefs about marriage are similar to Phillips. That's a quote from Alliance Defending Freedom senior counsel Jim Campbell in 2018, writing for the Daily Signal in an op ed. Such a ruling would have marginalized them and pushed them out of significant parts of public life. It would have told them they are no longer full participants in our communities. Well, Campbell, who represents Phillips, said that his time with the baker reminded him that such kind, caring people don't deserve that sort of mistreatment or to be bullied by the government or banished from the marketplace. Now, in every one of these cases where a baker or a florist, for that matter, have declined to do a particular work of art, they have served LGBT members of the LGBTQ community over a period of years. 
Um, uh, in the case of Baronelle Stutzman, she had employees who were members of that community. She had longstanding friendships. But when it came to communicating a particular message, that's where they drew the line. Well, thankfully, um, Campbell goes on to say the Supreme Court agreed, making clear that the state was wrong to punish Phillips uh, for living out his faith and that it must respect his religious beliefs about marriage. He went on to write, so the next time you hear someone badmouth Phillips, remember who he really is, a man unjustly dragged through the mud because he dared to um, believe he should uh, be free to live and work consistently with his face, a faith rather. So another interesting case, and as we uh, talked with Baronel Stutzman just a few days ago, she mentioned that she will continue in the fight, not officially, but certainly will support others who uh, remain in remain in the fight. Okay, I'm completely confused, <laughs> Chris. How, how many minutes? <laughs> Two and a half minutes is what you're telling me. He and I are trying to communicate clandestine so that you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes, but sometimes it just, just doesn't. Come across. I thought I either had 23 days or two and a half minutes or I didn't have any time at all. Um, I don't really have time to get into this story, so I won't. Maybe I'll reserve this for tomorrow. But we'll get into ways to get along this Thanksgiving, even with family members. Well, you may not like or agree with or get along with. The sad thing is there are a lot of people we like, have liked, we've had relationship with in the past. But given the pandemic, our views on vaccination or not vaccinated, our views on politics, uh, who we voted for, who we didn't vote for, and so on. Uh, it split families and relationships in what appeared to be, in some cases, irreparable damage being done. Well, we'll talk about how to um, avoid that, at least from a Christian perspective. We need to be open. I mean, there's a point at which maybe a relationship does need to come to an official end, but not before doing everything we can to preserve the peace. Coming up, Dr. Donald Critchlow. He's the author most recently of Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. That and uh, the big government socialist Thanksgiving proclamation we might have uh, heard. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. News and traffic up next. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 